You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group, www.americantheatre.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Off Script, American Theatre's podcast on all things theatrical. It's May 20th, uh, 2022. I'm Rob Weiner, Kent. I'm the editor-in-chief. My pronouns are he, him. I am coming to you, to you from the lands of Lenape. Behind me is Cherry Lane Theater. I'm not actually there, but it's there because our guests today are Allison Levy, who's got a show there, Oh God, a show about abortion. And uh, along with, with her is Justice Hare, who's got a play called The Wish, which is not at the Cherry Lane, but which is available to uh, produce and read. We're gonna talk more about those two. We're gonna talk to those two, those two playwrights about abortion rights in the theater and what those have to do with each other. And I'm here with my co-host. Allie Pearson, uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm coming to you from Astoria, the land of the Muncie Lenape. And so excited to first tell you about some of the features we've been working on this week. Awesome. Um, Want to just quickly, a uh, little housekeeping, just to let you know, American Theater is, is sponsored, published by TCG, Theater Communications Group. Please, please become a member of TCG that supports our efforts. You can go uh, anywhere, tcg.org, and uh, subscribe to American Theater and or become a member. They're the same thing. Uh, this past couple of weeks, we've had been very busy with features. I spoke a couple of weeks ago to Joe Morton, wonderful actor who I know mostly from uh, John Sayles movies of the 80s and 90s. Uh, but he was also, he, was, uh, he did a one-man show as Dick Gregory called Turn Me Loose. And he and the director of that production, uh, John Gould Rubin, uh, are staging a production, a very sort of modern take on King Lear in Los Angeles. I'm going to be completely, completely frank, the reviews have not been great, but my conversation with Joe was great, and it's fascinating to talk to him, and I was especially interested to hear that he, despite his beautiful voice, he's not been making a lot of money in voiceovers. He's done some good books on tape, but not voiceovers. Anyway, Joe, check that out. Um, I also uh, spoke to Sarah Morgulis, who's the new executive director of TYA USA, the Theater for Young Audiences. Um, she seems great. I have not met her, but except, except to talk to her about this, and uh, she's got great plans for the organization. She's really focused on access and inclusion and sort of baking that into the whole theater process, both on stage and in the audience, so that disabled and uh, neurodiverse theater makers can make, make work for audiences of all kinds. I feel like there's some hope for the future of theater in those, in those areas if you're teaching young people to expect that, right? So uh, speaking of neurodiversity. Yeah, speaking of access, um, my big feature came out uh, this week about Epic Players, uh, which is a wonderful uh, theater company based in Brooklyn that uh, is made up of players who are neurodivergent and uh, neurotypical. And their mission is to shine a professional spotlight on neurodiverse and disabled talent. And they have a production of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee playing right now uh, through the 22nd. So that's a very fun story to check out and also check out Epic Players. And then we have a wonderful feature by uh, DC writer Celia Wren about R. Eric Thomas and his kind of triple sweep of East Coast theaters. He has three world premieres debuting in as many months. His play, The Folks at Home, is at Baltimore Center Stage. Backing track is at Philadelphia's Arden Theater Company and Crying on Television is at Baltimore's Everyman Theater. 
they all sound wonderful and are reflective of his incredible writing. So that's another really fun one to check out. Um, I did an interview with, uh, uh, you know, I guess I can say one of my heroes, really, Terry Nemeth, the publisher of TCG Books and American Theater, who started at this organization in 1982. He, uh, he's, I, I knew Terry had a fascinating career, but until I sat down to talk to him at some length, he hates the spotlight. And yet somehow when I turned on the tape recorder, he, he, he had a lot to say. So that's a really wonderful piece that looking back on his career, he's retiring as publisher of our book program, which is uh, publishes hundreds of plays, a lot of Pulitzer Prize winners, August Wilson, Tony, Tony Kushner, uh, Lynn Nottage, and so on. Um, that's worth looking at that. And of course, if you you should apply, there's a there's a there's a job listing uh, uh, link in there if you're if you want to be a public be a publisher. Uh, speaking of, of of plays we've published, we did publish Mike Bartlett's King Charles the Third. Uh, that uh, interesting play he did a couple years ago came to Broadway. It was sort of a weird genre of sort of near future history plays. He was imagining what 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 Prince Charles as king might do in a sort of constitutional monarchical crisis. And he's uh, done a similar thing with a play called The 47th, imagining the 2024 election, U.S. election, that is. Uh, this is a London playwright. Uh, and this is a play, you might have seen coverage of this, Bertie Carvel, who played uh, Mrs. Trunch, Miss Trunchbull in the Matilda, really uh, fascinating actor, is playing Trump on stage in London. Uh, and he imagines the election of 2024 as a contest between Kamala Harris, played by Tamara Tooney, which is amazing casting as well, and Bertie Carvel as Trump. Uh, again, reviews of that have been mixed as well, but there's Laurie Weiner did a wonderful interview with him about, about his whole premise in doing these kind of, this kind of work and the immediacy of theater to comment on current events, which I think will is a topic that we'll come back to it later in this episode. Speaking of theater about current events. Speaking of theater about current events, our writer, uh, Bridget Redman, did a wonderful story on the musical Americano, which tells the story of Tony Valdovinos, who is a dreamer who found out about his undocumented status when he attempted to join the Marines after high school and uh, going on this journey of being an undocumented immigrant in this country has led him to advocate for many undocumented immigrants, and he's doing some incredible work, and this, this musical is based on, on his life, so that's definitely a, a fun one to check out. Uh, and then we also did a feature, uh, we brought back our NOAA Theater feature, where we, we get to know various theaters throughout the U.S., and this time we featured Theatrical Outfit of Atlanta, Georgia, they're really committed to the Atlanta community and, and serving you know, local artists and they're doing a lot of fun work. Right now they're doing a production of Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill featuring Broadway and Atlanta star Terry Burrell. And that one's definitely an incredible show to check out. It's a revival because it was so successful back in 2018. And uh, just briefly to, to nod to our other podcast in our podcast stable, uh, the subtext talked to Jeremy Cohen, who's been the, uh, the director of Playwright Center in Minneapolis for a number of years. Jeremy is a really interesting, soulful, thoughtful guy uh, who does interesting work nurturing playwrights. All these play development places have different approaches and different ethos and slightly different ways that they do this in terms of how they support new plays. It's a really urgent topic right now with the Lark having gone away. 
and with we just ran a piece uh, you can check out, which is not mentioned here, uh, about the Sundance Theater Program, which most people don't realize suddenly sort of quietly disappeared over the past couple of years as well. So new play development. Um, and then finally, Theatrical Mustang, Woodzik's wonderful podcast from Wisconsin, at least that's where Woodzik is based. They interviewed Ada Karamanian, who's a fascinating and interesting uh, casting director based in Seattle, who has written a few pieces for us and we've written about her before. And it's a wonderful uh, talk with her about trans representation or just representation in general, casting, casting in inclusive ways. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, no easy segue here. I think we're going to jump right in. Uh, we are going to talk now to Allison Levy, the writer-performer of Oh God, A Play About Abortion, which is now running through June 30th at the Cherry Lane Theater. And she's joined today uh, by Justice Hare, the co-playwright of, I'm going to give the full title now, The Wish, a Manual for a Last-Ditch Effort to Save Abortion in the United States Through Theater, which was a collaboration with some of her favorite writers in support of New George's on a downloadable interactive play that uh, people can download and read at dorm rooms, dinner tables, wherever. Um, obviously, Allison, I'll start with you. This was, a, this was a play that you, a production that you already had running before the leaked, yeah. the leaked judgment, right? It's, yeah, it's a show I've been writing for three years. So the timing is, only in that it's now when people are talking about it, but it's a show I've been doing kind of one, I'm just a stand up, it's just a stand up hour. Um, but uh, I've been doing it kind of around New York and, and chunks of it, you know, even out of town a little bit for the last three years as I've been developing it. Uh, but then we opened for previews April 25th and then one week later, the leak came out. So, but I mean, even just scheduling the, the six week run, I knew that June was, SCOTUS season and that decision was going to come down one way or another. Yeah, and, and Justice, uh, I, I know that your play, the play you worked on, uh, The Wish, was inspired by the SB8 law in Texas, clearly, but that there's a new new update in, in the draft I looked at that is the post-leak update, right? Uh, and I imagine it's a living document, as, as is Allison. Allison go on, every, on stage every night and re refer to whatever the news is. Um, and I wondered, this play obviously would be downloadable, but you're, you're updating it as the news changes? Yeah, that's right. And um, so I wrote it with my with Dina Agusti, Finesia Farrell, Mia Aquila Robinson, and Julia Specht, um, who okay. are co-writers. Um, but uh, yeah, we, sim so I started, I was thinking, I think I wrote the email to everyone asking them to be involved with the subject line invitation to do something weird in October. Um, I had just gotten a thousand dollar commission from Club Thumb. So, you know, the kind of sexy money that brings everybody running. Um, <laughs> and it was from, uh, it's a constitution commission, right? So it's from the um, Heidi Shrek and the producers of what the constitution means to me. Um, and this was soon after, I, I believe SB8 took effect. It was passed in May of 2021, um, but it took effect in September. Um, so in that immediate like sort of fall period, um, this feeling of, holy fuck, you can't be serious. Like, this is just so bad. It's so bad. Like it's a six week ban, which means two week ban and there's no exceptions for rape and incest. Like, come on guys, like this is really bad. Mm. And I felt like I was like maybe having some sort of 
hallucination or episode because mm. no one else seemed, it was really hard like talking to people about it and finding people who are upset um so i was like you know if we write a play about it now and we're just like random young women playwrights it's going to get written off as something angry and something silly and it's going to need to stand the test of time and in three or four years maybe it'll be ready because we'll be ready and we can like tone it down a little bit mm-hmm. and at that point it wouldn't be able to do what we want it to do right it's a manual for a last ditch effort to save abortion in the united states through theater we wanted to make something that could help right now right so giving up the institutional validation and saying, you know what, we're writing this now because it's for now and we think it's ready to be shared with the world. And we were lucky enough to be supported by New Georges as we did that, who hosted on their website. So it's free, there's no rights to produce. Um, And yes, we released it a day before the leaked uh, Supreme Court, yeah. And uh, I, I kept getting these messages like, wow, like such great timing. And I was like, you know, this is like a knowable fit, like similar to what I was saying, like this is like May was always when it was projected that this decision was going to happen, right? Like there's a reason we did it now. There's a reason we did it in the weeks before then, right? Because the play is a measurement to like comfort and energize people who are just so burned out and tired of talking about this shit and tired, tired, tired of having to organize. Right. I mean, Alison, do you do you think of it? And it, Justice said that the play is, called the last ditch effort to save abortion through theater. Do you feel like your your show is, is a kind of activism as well? Or is it something more intimate than that? I mean, it it is in kind of a, I hope it is in a larger um, kind of like more zoomed out view. It is, I mean, this, the show itself is personal narrative. It's just the story of what it was like for me personally to have an abortion. Um, right. And I wrote it because I went through that experience and was like, wow, this is a version that we never really see, especially in in, in dramatic or comedic spaces, um, which is just kind of like a very everyday, you know, it was annoying, but I did it. And and I think that like there's power in showing that because I think that like while when we talk about abortion and, and the the loss of that right, we talk a lot about worst case scenarios and and mm-hmm. rape and incest and uh, medical crises and all of, and it's like, we don't talk about the other equally as important element of abortion, which is just, I don't want to be pregnant. Um, and that's what, and I think that like to show that it's not always like the result of a horrific crime or like a terrible decision. Like, it's like, oh, well, if this is what it is like, yeah, why shouldn't this be accessible to everybody? Um, so, so I hope that from a narrative standpoint that that's like something that like opens some people's eyes or is a reminder of like what abortion can be and what abortion is for many people in this country. Um, you know, it, the show itself does not have a ton of political messaging to it beyond Mm. saying abortion should be normalized. Um, so it, it's not us a a big, you know, you're not going to walk away being like, yeah, like rallying. Like we got, (laughs) I got some solutions and some calls to action. Like it's a comedy show first and everything else second for me as a writer performer. But to me, I think there is something very like inherently valuable to talking about abortion in this way, which we don't really do that often. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, this, this kind of leads me right into my, my next question. Um, is the issue of abortion in this country really about quote unquote pro-life versus pro-choice 
and how can it be when there seems to be so little concern for the lives, overall healthcare, and sex education of people with uteruses? Like, <laughs> is the debate about something else, maybe patriarchy, sexism, negative attitudes around sex, etc.? What is it really about? <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> Who wants to start on this? Uh, you go for it. Decades long issue. <laughs> um, well, you know, first of all, I, I use anti-choice and pro-choice. I refuse to use the language of the oppressor. Those dumbasses have controlled our narrative for too long, right? Like, you know, I think a lot, without even meaning to, um, and I and I do this all the time, I slip into language that was kind of developed by the uh, religious right. Like, for example, the whole term moment of conception, it's not a thing. It takes like 24 hours for sperm to like gradually fertilize an egg if that happens. Um, so a day is not a moment. Um, and when we use that term, even when people use that term in like a pro-choice context, um, it's still referring to something fake. Like we're still not talking about what is actually happening. Um, no, I mean, I think it, it's, it's unoriginal and it's been said before and that's because it's true is that we're not really concerned about fetuses. If we were really concerned about children and parents, we would have support for children and parents um, instead of just like institutionalized disdain. Um, but, you know, it's, it's about controlling what people with uteruses do with their bodies, um, right? Because if you can't control what you do with your body, are you really a person, right? Like who else, who else is that a thing for in this country? Dogs, cattle, fancy rabbits, right? Who don't get to decide if they're gonna stay pregnant or not, right? Like. Like that's a big deal. And I think um, it comes largely from, I think there's a great deal of misogyny, but I also just think it's, um, it's, it's, you know, sort of this fear mongering that happened post, you know, Roe v. Wade and post second, like second wave feminism, third wave feminism. This has gotten out of control. Like, you know, and I think to some extent, like Alison was saying, and one thing I really like enjoyed about your show and is, is something that we're thinking, I think a lot about too, is like, well, um, it's healthcare, and also uh, we've kind of cowed ourselves into such a corner. Especially, I feel like a lot of Democrats have in being like, "Yeah, but like, like guys, we have we can have abortion, but like, can you just be careful? Like, it's not good, but like, you can have it if something if something really bad happens, guys. Like, you can do it. It's like, well, what if I like raw dick and like made a mistake? Like, I like I'm serious. Like, I, but this is the thing. It's like. You know, tell me about your abortion, but don't talk about sex. Well, how are we going to do that, right? 3% of abortions in the U.S. are due to um, force, which is sizable and significant. And in no way am I trying to discount um, the experiences of survivors of violence and incest. Um, but we when, when we do that, we sort of, I think, refuse to, to sort of talk about what we're really talking about, which is just a basic right to decide if you want to be pregnant or not. And you don't need to have a reason. You can just not want to be pregnant. And I think that those type of debates lend to everyone sort of diminishing themselves by saying, well, but what about, or like, what if I am justifying? And I think the second we start justifying, we already kind of lose. Yeah, I think there's also, I, I I always really disagree with the messaging of abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, rare is always a very challenging word. Um, and I, I understand the 
thrust behind it, which is, of course, like, considering abortion this necessary evil and this thing where even if you are having one for the reasons that are purely that you don't currently want to be pregnant, that it's like, oof, but it's still something you had to had to do. And it's like, well, we should just, I, I also had to have a root canal and I didn't moralize it, but it was honestly more devastating physically, financially, emotionally um, than my abortion experience. And I think like we still kind of use the language of you know, it's this, it's this necessary thing. And I think that that's something that impacts women who do go through the experience and, and don't feel the requisite guilt or heaviness that you're supposed to. And then you feel bad about feeling that. And I, I think it's, I think a lot of this boils down to the United States natalist culture and our obsession with the nuclear family, because the nuclear family favors the patriarchy and that keeps women from being able to quote unquote, have it all, which we know um, is physically impossible and also all is not a real thing um but you know this obsession with the nuclear family instead of community really keeps like this focus on motherhood and whether you do or don't do it becomes this identifying factor for you and abortion i think would be a lot more acceptable and commonplace for the people that maybe are on the fence or 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 are all about like worst case scenarios only or whatever um if instead we were a more community-based culture that didn't require everybody to have biological children and partners. Right, it, it does seem one thrust that came through in, in your show, Alison, also in the Wish play, Justice, there's a, there's a nurse talking very clearly and frankly uh, about abortion procedures as just as healthcare. Um, and I, I think the idea of, I think it was, you, Allison, you talked about normalizing the way we talk about it. Maybe it was justice. Just normalizing talking about it, normalizing the talk about bodies and how bodies work and what they do and what they don't do um, seemed to be like a big part of it. I, I was struck in both plays by, you mentioned fear, fear mongering. Um, in, 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 in your show, Allison, talking about the fear that seems to dictate women's sexuality, both the fear of getting pregnant and then the fear of not being able to get pregnant. And that maybe there's this little blessed period in between if you're fortunate to where you can just enjoy life. And then I noticed also um, uh, a really moving scene in The Wish in which Claire and Annie, these two women are talking and Claire admits that abortion is still a little scary to her. And, and Annie said, well, that's part of the way you're socialized and conditioned, but also it's okay to, to talk about a fear of I mean, I'm afraid of the dentist, you know, I'm afraid it's a medical procedure. Like you can do, you can demystify and demythologize it, but not say there's a one right way to, to think about it. I wonder if you could talk about the, the way that normalizing versus fear plays into the, into your work. Either, either one of you, Allison, you start. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of fear, especially around something like abortion is purely because it's all concealed um, and the realities of it are never really shared. And we don't talk about what it actually, we, I think that abortion is part of a national conversation, but not in a way that ever, as you said, like demystifies the experience. And like, I think it, I, I don't, I don't quote me on like the exact time, but I think it takes like eight minutes. Like it's such a short, you think yeah. it's like your whole day. Like it's, you're not giving birth. Like it's just this like very short, um, for the procedure and for the for the pill i don't i don't quite know exactly how it is just because i haven't lived that experience but like yeah. most people don't even know that the pills are an option they think like abortion is like you go in and it's this big scary thing and it's like mm -hmm. no you can also medicate it and, and do it at home and 
that's how not a big deal it is. Like I can't mm -hmm. do a root canal at home, mm -hmm. but like I could have an abortion at home. Yeah. Right. And I think that like by normalizing our discussions of it, like fear comes off the table, at least in terms of fear of the unknown. Um, right. You could still, right. be, yeah, like exactly. Like I'm still afraid of the dentist, even though I've been there and, and, and know exactly what they're, I think knowing what they're doing is actually what makes it scarier at the dentist. But um, I think the inverse is probably true when it comes to something like abortion where right. you let, you know, kind of the scariest versions of it be the kind of narrative. And then it's like, oh, it's just this. Like I was, yeah. you know, my show is about the anticlimactic nature of having it. And it's like, oh, that's all it was. Like if more people knew that, I don't think that we would all be like, terrified of getting pregnant or like terrified of needing to go do this or or any it would just be like oh okay like it's not my favorite saturday but it's certainly manageable <laughs> right i mean and i think that's the in essence what a lot of people are scared of is um is people knowing that uh it's a five to ten minute medical procedure it's two pills um and something we wanted to make sure of in our play so um there's a clinic nurse describing like shot for shot like this is how a dnc works and this is how a medical abortion works and dramaturgically and like you should know i'm a hyper naturalist playwright like the idea of telling people what i'm trying to say is like you know i will be smote smited by god but like this is the time that we live in so like we have to we have to just talk about it. So, so it was a different experience writing like, yeah, I'm gonna teach you in this play. We're gonna have someone teach you how a medication abortion works. And I was like, dramaturgically, is that like a sound structural thing to do? But the problem is um, no one actually knows, like even people who think they know actually rarely kind of know how abortions work. And so I think something that it would make abortion less fearful and more easy to talk about is if people felt they had um, the language to do so. And if they felt they could picture the thing, if they had a sense of the thing, right? And we can't do that until we have that information. So we're like, we think we, we think the information has to be in the show, right? Because mm -hmm. I think maybe just like Allison was saying, if people knew what this was, um, oh, like that's what it is. And there are a lot mm -hmm. of people out there and this is something that the play is about who really do, who might need that procedure, who might go into that procedure. I mean, thinking they're shoving a vacuum up your vag for an hour or like cut it, like the, the, the number of responses I've gotten like to what people think they do, right? Like is horrifying. And these are people who would still go in and get it and go in so, so, so fucking scared. And it's like, we can fix that actually. Information can fix that, right? Like. We don't all have to just accept the things that we're scared of. We can learn more. We can learn anywhere and try as they might. The Supreme Court can't ban that, right? So part of the idea is this, you know, my women's and gender studies degree coming out. Uh, the radical, like, part of the idea of making a PDF that has resources, that explains literally how an abortion works, that has a tear out sheet that teaches you how to clear your browser history or make an appointment at Planned Parenthood, um, right? Like. When we talk about it, it's sort of a mixed message, right? Because on the one hand, we're making a survival kit to some extent. And that shows that we're in this really particular and scary and sharp time. Um, but at the same time, it's that type of information. It's replacing some of the fearful memories that people have or fearful associations with abortion with something better. So 
I've often said we did a tiny reading of this play. Um, and uh, we had Randy Danson as the clinic nurse, which was wonderful. Um, and she describes how, how a DNC abortion works. And we had the lighting low and we had lamps. And like, kind of it's a win if like anyone in that room who saw that show, like when they get two lines instead of one, um, I feel like a lot of people's first thought is like some like scary thing that they were told about abortion, some scary image. And I'm like, what if we can replace that? Like, what if we could offer you something kinder? like for yourself and for other people? What if instead you remembered Randy Danson gently telling you that it was five to 10 minutes and it was going to be okay? Mm -hmm. How much different would our culture be when you saw those two lines? If you had something warm and like loving mm -hmm. to, to hold on to, right? Like what difference did that make, would that make? And I think that's a question we're asking with this. Oh, for sure. And I think a certain amount of that fear has to come from interactions like the one that Allison had with three neurosurgeons not being able to identify a tampon on an x-ray and that like not knowing what technician, what doctor, what person is going to be in that room and how well they read their textbook. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it's, I was in the hospital for a dog bite, different story. <laughs> but my uh, but my uh, bathroom mate or whatever um, was saying like, look, there's blood in my shit. And I remember, because, you know, there's a curtain for like privacy. There's no privacy. And they're like, well, are you sure you just don't have your period? And she's like, well, I've been having my period for decades. So I think I know what it looks like when I poop when I'm on my period and how it looks when I think there's like blood in my shit, which like, I don't really want to talk to you about. Like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm really worried my life might be in danger. So I'm telling you, I think there's blood in my shit. Right. So he asked, are you sure? It's like, yeah, I guess you've never looked down at blood and shit in a toilet bowl, but like, come on, like, I don't know. I, I feel like we should have to do better. I have to know a lot of stuff about, about penises that I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, for Allison, here's a, a question. There's a, um, I'm curious whether you've ever performed Oh God or, or the material in your play outside of New York in potentially red states or less progressive environments and, and what that experience was like. Um, I did the show in full um, about a week before we opened here um, in Austin, Texas. There was a comedy festival that I was going to when they said I could run the show a few nights. So it was like great to kind of like get it up in front of an audience. Um, you know, Austin is, it's a blue dot in a red state, it's Texas light. Um, so it was interesting because it was, you know, in mid April. Um, so like SB8 has been in, it has been in effect. Um, and I was talking to the crowd afterwards and I was like, oh, it's so interesting. Like this is the first time I've really done this show in full, like in another place that's not New York. and. I was, you know, is it just that it's more, I, I could feel like a rawness. Everybody was on board. They were supportive of the material. They laughed at a lot of the jokes, all the things, but like there was just kind of a different vibe. And I was like, I'm just curious what that might be. And everybody was like, yeah, we like just lost this right. Like we don't have this anymore. Um, it's not even agreeing or disagreeing with the different sticking points of abortion or what you think should be legal or not legal. It's like, it just doesn't exist. I couldn't have had my abortion in Texas under this law. It, I was, I didn't even find out until it was after six weeks. So, you know, and I think there's a lot of people who are 
you know, in those places that like seeing something like this or hearing about it is both like exciting because it's, it's something that you're like, yes, this is tapping into the things I believe and the things I feel, but also it's illegal there. You can't do it. Like, I mean, if you have resources, you can, you can leave the state, but the average person in Texas can't get an abortion anymore. So to hear this story is both like, you know, thrilling and upsetting. And it, I mean, I, for anyone listening who like doesn't have a period or does not intimately know the stuff, like a six week ban is actually a two week ban because mm-hmm. right? like it's four weeks until you even like maybe, and depending on your cycle or like, oh, this is late. Like, or maybe, oh, it's just late. Mm-hmm. You don't know. It's not an exact science, contrary to what people think. Menstrual cycles are typically between like 28 to 35 days. If you're a person like me with a 35 day cycle, like it's long, like it makes you work for it. And every month you're like, oh no. Um, but then it happens. I would have one week under the Texas ban, right? To realize that I was pregnant, decide what I want to do. So just make like a tiny, big life altering decision and then um, secure the funding to do it. And in Texas, find a place that would do it. And I cannot emphasize enough, that is not always super easy and people have to travel a really long time. I should also point out just as uh, something in the play, you can absolutely, um, aidaccess.org will still mail um, abortion pills in Texas and in red states. So anyone listening, um, if it's, I believe if you're, uh, earlier than 10 weeks, which is still very early, um, you can have abortion pills mailed to you under the supervision of a doctor um, that you talk to online. Um, and you can have that at home. Just an important thing. That's good to know. And Justice's Play is available for download, has some great resource pages in there if you're looking for them. Um, so Justice, of course, your play is, is downloadable, emailable, findable for a lot of people. Allison, I'm, I'm curious, do you have plans to stream it or make it available via internet at some point? Um, I mean, my goal is for it to be an hour special, um, like a comedy special. So, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that it'll take a minute. And I know that there's people who have been messaging me and, and messaging the show being like, where can I see this? And it's like, well, I need a, a pretty big check first. Um, so, but uh, that is the goal. And I, and I do hope that also like that, that one that this continues to run in New York, but also that there is a way to kind of take it to places where it would be well-received and, and wanted. So liberal cities basically, <laughs> but, but hopefully to take it on the road and then also um, eventually for it to be shot. I'm wondering in both cases though, uh, if, if there's any sense in which either work is conceived with persuasion in mind, uh, uh, whether you feel like, or it's more for people who are on the fence or, or, who, or, who, or who are fearful, they may not be anti-choice, but they're fearful or, they, or they're just uncomprehending. Uh, I guess, do you think that either, either of your works would play, or have you had them, have you thought about how they would play with somebody who's already entrenched in their views or is trending anti-choice? Um, do you think you just, either of these works might win them over or, or confront them with truths that they... <laughs> I, I guess I kind of don't care so much about that. 80% mm-hmm. of, abor- of Americans support abortion. I think it's like 90% like 
court having some kind of abortion, even like you get that extra 10% of people who are like, oh, but rape and incest, yeah. Like, yeah. right, the total bans are actually extremely unpopular. I cannot stress yeah. this enough in this country and have been for a really long time. Um, I think ours was really made more for, um, I think I think this was the plan. I think that the right is really diabolical and really, really, really smart. And all those like poltergeist Barbies on Fox News are like so fucking smart because what they did was they have been chipping away at Roe ever since it came out, right? Chip, 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 chip. We all get so tired. We all get so tired of fighting because there's a new ban. I mean, I feel like coming of age as a playwright, there's like a new ban every week and you're like, wait, like, what's going on? What's going on? And they get us to the point where in a horror movie, I am a fan. So Allison, I'm very excited to listen to your podcast. I, and I'm the person love who, it. <laughs> yes, who watches them, but then, and, and loves recounting them. There's always a point in a horror movie, oftentimes where there's a femme character running through the house and there's a home invader. Um, and you know, at this point, like her hair is fucked up and like, she's got dirt on her face and like maybe her ankle is tweaked. Like there's some like physical limitation I see. And that's the point when the killer comes out of the closet and they have the dramatic shot with the, with the knife, right? And what they're relying on is like in so many movies, you're just gonna lay there, right? Because you've had it and then they go. I think that was their plan. I think the plan was to get everyone so fucking exhausted and tired of talking about abortion, organizing abortion, and then they slip the knife in and you almost don't even realize it's it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is. Um. Yeah, I don't. Ugh. I think if you disagree with abortion, if you don't believe that it's a human right, there is zero changing your mind. And mm, yeah. no part of me has set out with writing and performing this to to do any mind changing. Mm. Um, only to make people laugh at it. I do think that like comedy is inherently like a gateway to conversation for a lot of people. A lot of people will be like, "Oh, I heard this joke," or "I saw this." thing and she did this bit about this and like that's a good way in for like real conversations that people can have so if a stupid joke about you know the what everybody was wearing in the waiting room at Planned Parenthood will get people to have a discussion then like that discussion is like outside of my hands but like getting people to talk about it and like have jokes that are so memorable that they want to tell their friends like that is kind of all I can do. And I, I don't want I, to trick anyone to seeing it. And I don't want anybody who doesn't want to see it to ever see it. Because <laughs> it's yeah, well, not the, for the, them. The, the, ti the title lets you know. Lets yep. you know right? I didn't want uh, anybody <laughs> to fall in and be like, oh, this is about, no, it's exactly, I tell you exactly what it's about. It's a show about abortion. Yeah. I should put in a quick plug, uh, Justice. You mentioned horror movies. Uh, we didn't put this as it wasn't a part of the recording that, that uh, Allison, you have a podcast called Ruined where a friend of yours recounts horror plots to you so just just yes. so you know check out check out that ruined uh justice you were about to say something i think i was just about to say you know i think i i think obviously and this is reflected in the play i think there's always um i think that there is a need i think sometimes people pick on preaching to the choir um mm. and i and i think that's really unfair when um especially right now we're like 20 seconds from full handmaid's mode it's like mm. You know, like if there's a panic button, we should be pressing it. Um, and I think that if a play, if a play about abortion encourages, makes you remember how you feel when you were like 18, you first 
you took your first WGS class and you were like, holy fuck, I want to burn everything down. Um, we need that. We all need that. And we learn to just like swallow a little bit of that. And we, I don't know, maybe not everyone. I feel like that happened to me. I think especially in the arts almost, it's like, okay, feminist, but like, keep, take it down like three notches. Like no one, like stop, like just stop talking about your vag. And like, I, I, I do, I do think that there is value in saying, you know what, it's really unfair and we shouldn't have to be fighting for this. And there's, uh, it's wrong that we should have to diminish ourselves and spend time talking about this. You could argue even as writers, right? Like, believe it or not, we're actually really fucking funny. And like, we write about other things other than our vaginas. And like, <laughs> we have thoughts about things that don't directly relate to our genitals. And we like writing about those too. But right now we can't because we're gonna get so fucking fucked, right? So we had to do something a little different. It's like, we interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to be like, you know what? We didn't really wanna be here either. I mean, we're, we love what we made, but like, you understand that we're making this because we're so scared. Um, but I think a lot of people also feel that way. And if this play can be something that allows people to kind of get in touch with that feeling, that's great. And I also think we know um, people change their, uh, statistically, a lot of people, the way people learn about abortion or change their minds about abortion is through personal narrative. Um, we know that that's true. Um, but it, it's also something where if you're having a discussion with friends, right, like not everyone should have to offer their abortion story in order to help someone else. So we wanted to kind of make a script for those conversations where you can put as much of yourself or as little of yourself into it and still have a conversation with people you love. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, reading the play Justice, a lot of it reminded me in the best way of, you ever heard of like a wreck this journal where yes. like there's the journal that you kind of fill out as you go along. The play very much felt familiar to that, that like you kind of personalize the play as you go along and that, that felt very, very meaningful. Uh, this reminds me, you've just given me the perfect segue to my next question. You didn't even know it, but um, it reminds me of years ago, I was talking to a cis male friend and I just said, I wish I could talk more about my period and people wouldn't get uncomfortable. And he said, why would you want to? And I said, it's not that I want to, it's that I have to. And I feel like that's, you've encapsulated that so well. But Allison, there's a line in your play about the Rockettes, which, I, which really stuck out to me. And I think it speaks to the Me Too movement and overall the history of how women have been treated on stage. And so this is a kind of big question for both of you, but how can theater and comedy provide better work environments? I mean, I think like the fact that you also just brought up periods is such a connected, you know, element of all of this is like to take into account like women's bodies are more traumatic. <laughs> um, but we, I, I, I can't count the number of times I've been on the road doing like a road weekend or like had to like be at a show at 11 p.m. in Bushwick when that's not where I live and not where I ever want to be. Um, just and like exhausted and tired and like I can't cancel because of my period and we can't like I think that there's taking into account everybody and that includes the body autonomy and the and the health of cis male people trans people non-binary people cis women like everything if we all like I think I hope that the pandemic has hopefully taught people a little bit more about boundaries and limitations and I've certainly been learning that myself as a performer writer but like I think just 
respecting limits and, and having open conversations about how people physically feel all the time is important. And I think that that's very tied up in um, the way we treat each other. If we consider, I think like, unfortunately we have to start with physical because I think a lot of people don't want to connect emotionally to where other people are and how they're feeling. But physically, if you're like, this makes, I feel sick, I feel hurt. I feel like I can't do this right now. Like, I think that's a stepping stone to being like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm feeling um, rejected or condescended to, or any of these other things. I think that like becomes more that can physical discussions can be a bridge to being able to have like real discussions about how it feels to be in certain work environments. <laughs> for sure um, yeah i wanted to you know you said preaching to the choir earlier uh one of you i think it was uh, justice i mean when the choir is demoralized <laughs> and and under threat i think it is it's it's a little pep talk and preaching is is good um it strikes me also that uh what we're talking about the the sort of right-wing uh plan that you talked about justice was, was sort of abetted by sort of the shame and silence and pride, this sort of idea that we don't talk about these things. Um, so the only people talking about it in this restrictive and um, uh, backwards way are gonna dominate the conversation. So I think having plays and comedy shows that just make it a part of the conversation, like that, that's an end in itself, really. Um, apart from the, the wonderful quality of the work itself. I wondered, uh, since this is a, a podcast where we have a little bit of time, I wanted to ask you, just both of you feel like these are shows you've had to make, uh, especially given the urgency of the moment. Just, just for fun, tell me if you can make a show about anything. If reproductive rights were not on the front burner and not an urgent crisis, what would what would you make a show about? I mean, I'm, I'm a stand-up. I talk about my life. I talk about yeah. what happens to me. So I. I don't know that I really think that I felt urgency as much with this show. Um, but I was like, this happened to me and I started writing about it and I was like, Oh, I already have 15 minutes. Like I can make this an hour. Um, but the, you know, you could see, you could see snippets in, within this show of the things I would much rather be talking about and devote many, many minutes to of the 70 of them on stage as plants and genes and just how it like dumb stuff about being a woman who's 38 and lives in Brooklyn and can't stop spending money. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't create worlds at all um, on stage. Right. I'm very much just uh, earnestly telling you like what I think and feel, but mm -hmm. I do think there's a, you know, I think my next project will be the dumbest thing I can think of. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> something really stupid, but I think there's other, I, I, I think our relationships with our parents are fascinating and I am of the age that my parents are, I guess, categorically boomers and we are watching yeah. this giant generation get old in a way that is about to be its own um, healthcare and possible civil, civil liberties crisis. Um, right. And I applaud anybody who's ready to take on that absolute uh, nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Or the sandwich generation, the folks who have kids and have parents who are aging, that's mm. really a, oh, a fun, God. A fun topic, imagine. yeah. <laughs> Well, we were talking about fun things you can do a show. Fun things, fun things. Again, so I would, I would love to just like talk about Gerd and the plant store and how I truly Gerdin, plan yes. to take, play, take them down from the stage. <laughs> Justice, do you want to bite on that question? It's just, it's just a... Yeah. I, um, I'm, like I said, I'm a hyper-naturalist writer. I write a lot, uh, I write a lot, a lot about sex. So, you know, okay. ironically, like, yes, vaginas do feature prominently in my work, even when it's not a specifically about um, abortion. But um, 
I'm I'm really interested in sort of relationships that we don't have names for, like so, um, sort of attraction and social dynamics and the way in which we, um, the extent to which we express ourselves and doing, so naturalism as opposed to realism. Realism is like, you killed my cat. And then like the person delivers like a flawless, like, you know, word perfect monologue. And naturalism is like, you, and then you break something and then you deliver like the most incoherent rant that somehow ends with like you know somehow breaking something like like that's the that's the naturalist feel so i have a great love of like language and 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 um listening to the way that people say things um mm. not what they mean what what they don't mean but what we what we get out of exploring um I think as a playwright, I really like to start in places of like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable or a little humiliating or like, why does it feel weird to talk about this? And I always think that those are the feelings that always engender to me the best writing, not joy or sadness. It's like, there are some things where somebody has to like pull up their shirt first and be like, do you have this? Hmm. Um, right? Like someone has to go first, right? Every, every altar needs a little bit of blood. Someone yeah. has to do it. Um, and I think that if you have the gift of being a, a writer who's willing to like put a little bit of yourself in your plays and say like, yeah, this is kind of weird, but this is a thing that I feel um, like what a gift, because then you can get to theoretically people watch and they're like, oh, cool. Like, yes, I also have that feeling and I feel like a shit human being, but like, thank you so much. Um, and we can attach words to it. And mm. yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, I, I wanted to just ask, uh, I guess, uh, as the only uh, uh, cis male person without a uterus in this conversation, what can what can I do? What can men do to support uh, abortion rights, abortion access? Is there, do we have a unique role that we should step up for? To my show no um <laughs> pay for tickets um i mean but that is like i mean just like just joining the conversation i think that like when we talk about emotional labor so much we we think mm. a lot about like oh why is it women's job to have this conversation and i think what that does sometimes is makes people think that they can't ask questions and can't start like I don't want to lead a lesson for every man I've ever met on what this is, though I guess I am doing that on stage, but I'm getting paid for it. So that's all that matters. Um, but like, I think that like that, I think if like, if a guy friend and many of mine have, or we're like, wait, so like, would you have wanted someone to go with, like just asking questions, even if they seem stupid is like such an important part of this, because like, even as a woman with a uterus who got pregnant, who needed an abortion, there was so much about the process I didn't even understand that I think like, of course, men don't either. And it's like, the more you know, the more you can also then be an advocate and 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 participate and and just encourage other men to also participate in it. I think it's like, it, it we call it a women's issue and it's just inherently a human one, so. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the much the way that that race should not be something that only people of color talk about. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, it's a it's a white person's problem. Um, uh, Ali, I think you had. Uh, yeah, I just kind of have a fun wrap up question. Um, if you don't want to answer it, it's okay. But um, if you could teach, oh, sorry. 
Can I just add one thing that I- Oh yeah, yeah go ahead. Please, do? please do. Um, I think every, uh, I, I was mentioning this earlier, in trying to get the word out about the show, it's been really hard because people keep referring to abortion as a partisan issue. Mm. Um, and when people email that to me, I have to be really calm because if I email back what I want to email back, like go fuck yourself, you coward. Um, they say you're, it's an emotional thing, right? Like, well, of course it matters to you. Um, and I think this is maybe one of the only times where I really wish like to smell friends like, you know, all those times where you've asked like what you can do. Mm. Um, I'm asking you to do like a little bit of creative problem solving here and think like, you know, if I have privilege and clout and power, or if I have the ability to respond to this email or like hop on this thread or advocate for, for someone's play, for someone's work, for a person with a uterus's work, do it, vouch for us, pull, pull your friends in. What are you waiting for? Like, it's really fucking bad right now. Like, you have to just do it. If you care about us at all, you would do it. If you actually loved people with uteruses, you would do it, right? Because you would understand that this is something that is extremely real and life-threatening and challenging. And also, I I mean, to, just to go back for one second to the trying to convince people, I don't know that you can convince someone it's okay for a 10-year-old rape victim to have to give birth to their own sibling like if you can stomach that then like i don't really want to talk to you and like i don't know who should maybe a mm. priest i don't know but like right I, it it just sort of seems like this is a moment where um institutional power could be really valuable and i really do think the fact that the arts is kind of just i think a lot of arts institutions pussyfoot around abortion and yeah. don't want to make their stance clear or recognize this as a human rights issue. And I think that's a huge mistake. And I think the world will remember the people and institutions um, in this critical moment right before Roe that were like, pass, like, it will be noted. It will right. be noted. Everyone who's watching theater right now knows exactly where their stories are welcome or not. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Elliot. No, it's okay. I feel like I'm going to a funny question now because like that was such an important point, but here no, we go. Um, if you could teach any lesson to a sex ed class, what would your chapter or like topic be? Boy, that's a really good question. I think I would focus on periods and specifically teaching men about them, young men, mm. and being like, don't be grossed out. like. We're like, and also like, I mean, the real lesson is that like women are grosser than men could ever imagine being um, as comics and also as um, human beings. But I think like real education around that and being like, it's not just that I'm being moody. It's not just that I'm bleeding. It's that I'm actually also in physical duress and like, that's real. And like, you can't, your expectations need to be like, but like, it's something that I don't think that any men could possibly like handle living through. And I think that they need to know that. Wow. And also, okay. Austin, I was struck by that. I was like nodding furiously last night in your show, but the idea of separating people based on sex, right? It, it kind of starts there. You kind of get an opt out card for like, I don't have to know about periods. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's a really real chance that we're going to lose a constitutional right because a lot of the country doesn't know that a period cycle is about four weeks. Right. So 
I don't know, like do better, right? Because this is critical information. It clearly affects more than just the people who, who experience this physical event. And I'm so serious that you can Google that the, the amount that people don't know, particularly cis men about periods could ruin a country. And it did. It is. Um, I think I had a great sex ed teacher actually public school. Um, they did it right this time, this time. Um, and, uh, she was she held up a big like splayed leg like drawing and she's like all right everybody this is the vagina and this right here more importantly is the clitoris now any of you that want to have sex with someone who has one of these you're going to want to know where it is and you're going to want to pay attention to it which like she go i think she was fired the next year but it was a great lesson like incidentally a great lesson i think that there is something I think that if I could teach a sex ed lesson, um, it would be one where pleasure could be sort of in the center and open and discussed and um, and a little less clinical. I mean, all, again, all the clinical information is so, so, so important, um, but also like we're all entitled to pleasure. We're all entitled to, to have full use of our bodies um, in a sexual capacity and full agency. And, you know, abortion just to me, like like Allison is saying, it's 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 a part of sexual wellness. It just is, right? So maybe the fact that abortion could be more of part of a sex ed instead of watching the horrifying video of the person screaming and giving birth, right? Yeah, um, right, right. Could, could be really helpful because I do think that even a lot of people who do choose to be pregnant in this country, a lot of sex ed classes are like the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is getting pregnant. It's like wow, so that's scary. Like what, <laughs> but again, even for people like who do get pregnant and do yeah. want to be pregnant and have right. babies, like that's a lot guys. Like, yeah. like that's a really normal human experience too, to give birth. And you've made that really scary. So no matter what we do, we're just supposed to be really, really scared. If it comes out of our vagina, it's scary. And I think that that's just a huge, huge mistake and a huge missed opportunity that we have with young people. Well, I think I think ending on on better, more knowledge and pleasure. You mentioned pleasure. I feel like that's one thing that the theater, even when the theater is preaching to us or, or informing us, it's gathering us together in some sort of communion to laugh and tell stories and recognize each other. So hopefully, there's pleasure also. It's not just this is not infotainment. This is pleasure. So I, I, I it's been a pleasure to talk to you both, Justice uh, and Allison. Justice, uh, the wish. We'll we'll put a link in the in the Facebook feed uh, and the podcast page so people can download The Wish. And we'll put a link to uh, Ogata oh if you're in New York. Come see Ogata oh show about abortion. Um, you'll laugh, you'll cry, it'll become a part of you. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to talk to you both. And uh, I wish you the best. Yeah, thank, thank you so both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for this Thank you. This was wonderful. Cheers. Take care. Bye.